try and push it across the river again to Menaces Highway or just to be thrown right into Severodonetsk. Speaking of Severodonetsk and Lysychansk, point five on the map and just a little further east, Russian forces continue to skirmish within the central area of the town, but apparently have restrained from committing the full total of troops into the urban terrain, which has limited their capabilities. They're operating a little more reservedly than they have been, especially after they overextended themselves and got caught with their pants down and took considerable casualties during their initial offensive into the city. Ukrainian forces continue to operate out of the western Azov chemical plant and industrial area and reportedly hold the suburban terrain to the south and southeast of the city in the suburb of Metal King. The fighting is reportedly so severe that the battle can last a whole day, not just to fight through a street, but only to fight through one high-rise building. And we've seen a couple videos now of Ukrainian forces in one larger concrete structure, apparently firing on another high-rise concrete structure that is literally less than a block away. So we are in quite literally almost knife fighting distance. Ukrainian special forces were able to locate, attack, and destroy four long-range rocket artillery batteries from the Russian side, which were destroyed by accurate NATO artillery fire, the M777. So they continue to, there is just as there's a battle in the city, there continues to be an artillery battle outside the city where the 10 to 1 advantage of Russian artillery is being systematically attempted to be degraded by Ukrainian artillery. Two addition Russian battalion tactical groups were brought in from the northwest of Severodonetsk near the suburb or city of Rubizhna, which is bringing the alleged number of Russian troops participating to nine battalion tactical groups. And Russian forces destroyed the final of the three main bridges linking Severodonetsk on the east to Lysychansk on the west of the river, limiting the supply of heavy equipment into Severodonetsk proper. There does remain other unspecified avenues of transit into and out of Severodonetsk, and it's been reported by a number of factors that the troops inside the city are not yet cut off. And going back into history a bit, additional info has been verified regarding the fall of Rubizhna, the urban area to the northwest where Ukraine defenders fought a very impassioned defense and then just disappeared one day. Reportedly, entrenched Ukraine professional fighters were forced to withdraw rapidly in order to shore up defenses against Russian forces that had surged forward from Papazna, much further to the south, when a territorial defense force unit retreated from their positions without orders or informing command, and thus these other troops had to pull out of the urban area rapidly in order to keep a massive Russian breakthrough from occurring to the south. Unfortunately, this allowed Russian troops to take the city of Rubizhna and thus set the conditions for the current battle of Severodonetsk. Uh, Ukrainian military is already looking at criminal charges for some of the commanders involved in this um, less-than-ideal situation. Speaking of moving to the south from Popozna and Bakhmut, Russian forces continue to attack north towards Lysychansk and continued effort attempts to clear the territory towards the northeast of Popozna near the town of Zolot, Z-O-L-O-T-E, where Ukraine forces have put up a very impassioned defense. Russia claimed to have taken Komshuvaka to the northwest of this town and Tashkivka to the east of this town, but given the fact they continue to shell both of those locations and the lack of the Ukrainian forces between those positions withdrawing back to avoid encirclement, it appears that Russian forces have not yet been able to menace them to the degree that their propaganda says they are. Russian forces did attack unsuccessfully towards the south of Bakhmut from the regions of Kodema and Novoluhansk, and there are reports of continued Wagner Group mercenary forces near Pokrovsk fighting along the Pazna-Bakhmut Highway, 
which is currently very heavily menaced by long-range artillery. Moving further south towards Donetsk at point six, Russian forces continue to hold their positions and have instead opted to shell along the front line. Russian reservists were seen training with very antiquated 60-year-old D-20 howitzers and learning how to use weaponry with only two weeks of training before deploying to Ukraine, which both demonstrates the lack of available Russian equipment and the lack of training time afforded to these units. Russian state media accidentally published an article about rebuilding the Donbass, which appeared to have been written for after the occupation of the territory and in preparation for annexation. The article was promptly deleted and blamed on unknown Ukraine. Moving further south to Mariupol, point seven, the Ukrainian intelligence service, the GRU, reports that Russian forces in Mariupol have been unable to recruit collaborators by promising money and due to the dire situations in the city, have instead offered to pay people in food and water supplies. They've been attempting to utilize civilians to clear out rubble and dead bodies in exchange for food and water during the cleaning operations. Otherwise, Russia appears to level the buildings and just bury the bodies beneath the rubble, adding to the potentially hazardous epidemiological situation. Russian forces have begun distributing cholera medications to their troops, while the lack of clean drinking water continues to create conditions for disease for everyone else in the city. Citizens still lack the ability to boil water in general because of the lack of gas and other you know, food-burning supplies, and people have to register literally days in advance in order to be supplied with clean water. Moving further west towards Zaporizhia and the southern axis, Russian forces continue to leverage artillery and rocket fire, but attempted no offensive actions otherwise. It appears that Russia may have a lack of experienced forces and inadequate replacing equipment to do anything of value. Here. According to the Institute for the Study of War, the bombings in Zaporizhia region and in Verdansk were potentially motivated by Russian attempts to accuse Ukrainian forces of committing violence against civilians. In Berdyansk, there was explosions which damaged an electrical substation that removed power to about 50% of the population, while in Melitopol, an explosion outside the occupation police office injured four people, including two occupation authorities. Russian forces have increasingly replaced teachers and government officials in southern Ukraine in order to push the Russian government line, while Ukraine citizens refuse to adhere to that. Moving further west towards Kherson, Russian forces continue to fight along the front line, but have been unable to group together enough forces for a counteroffensive. Ukraine forces continue to fight along the highway near Davidi Breed, with the apparent goal of cutting off northeast Russian units from their supply lines that run through that town. The Ukrainian military is now 18 kilometers from Kherson city, which is within long-range artillery, tube artillery strikes, and has begun launching massive artillery strikes on Russian positions. Ukrainian air power also continues to strike on Russian positions and equipment, and reportedly some Ukrainian helicopters managed to actually evade interception by a Russian combat aircraft, which returned to base after missing with its missiles. And Russian forces have brought DPR conscript paramilitary forces into Kherson in order to increase anti-partisan operations. I would keep an eye on partisan operations in Kherson specifically. In Odessa and the Black Sea, the Black Sea reportedly there's 36 to 46 caliber cruise missiles on five surface ships and one submarine, as well as three troop transports. During the day in Odessa, two people were arrested for, brief, for breaking rules regarding going to the beach and swimming. The authorities remind citizens that it is incredibly dangerous to wander the beaches due to the presence of both floating Russian sea mines and Ukrainian placed defensive mines. One of those two categories killed a man in front of his family a couple of days ago.
In general, today Ukraine forces eliminated 200 Russian troops, two tanks, 11 armored vehicles, six artillery systems, three of which were four of which were long-range rocket artillery, 13 trucks and cars, three AOVs, one helicopter, and one plane. The greatest losses being along the Popozna front. The Russian government has predicted a 20% rise in the military defense budget, although the sanctions and industrial limitations may prevent a consequent rise in production. The European Commission will recommend granting Ukraine European Union candidate status per both Politico and Radio Free Europe. The United States is working to ensure that various countries do not buy grain from Russia, which Washington believes could be stolen in Ukraine. In May, the United States sent letters to 14 countries, mainly in Africa, alleging that Russia could try and sell Ukrainian grain and that there would be consequences for those who did business with them. Lithuania will hand over 110 anti-drone electronic warfare guns with a range of up to five kilometers to Ukraine. Looking forward, Russian forces will likely continue efforts to secure Severodonetsk as they push for political goals of securing the city. Ukraine forces will likely consider supplying their troops as long as possible there until such points of position becomes untenable and then withdraw across the river. The ongoing Ukraine offensive has reached closer towards the city of Kherson, and the fact that Russian forces are now within conventional artillery range means that they will likely either have to pull a number of them out of conventional artillery range and thus cede territory, or they'll have to bring a larger number of troops there, probably from the northeast region of Kherson, and thus lose territory there in order to blunt the ongoing Ukrainian counteroffensive. With that, that's about the end of the update. If there's any questions, I'm happy to stick around for the next 10, 15 minutes or so, but otherwise I do have to get going. Thank you very much, Language. Let's go to Brian and then to Smooth. Brian. Yeah, Language, well, uh, thanks for the download. Uh, uh, always valuable. Um, I had a question regarding uh, the Ukrainian Air Force. It, statistics have been very quiet. I'm, I'm sure this is partially due to OPSEC um, scenarios. Um, and about, I want to say, 30 days ago, maybe 45 days ago, there was some chatter on Twitter about um, a handful of Ukrainian pilots getting training on the U.S. F-16 platform. wasn't sure if that was verified. I'm not sure if that's something that's kind of just hush-hush right now. Um, and just wondering, um, you know, there, it's, there's been some extreme um, extreme lack of information as it relates to, um, you know, what's going on from an Air Force perspective. I haven't seen any indication of that. Um, what's important to know is while these could very well be in preparation for many months and possibly years down the line, because it takes that long to get somebody effectively combat capable on these airframes, these are different than what the Ukrainians are used to with the Soviet style to the NATO style. Um, I understand that the Ukrainian Air Force has stated that they could get flying F-16s in three weeks, and that's, um, to put it politely, wildly optimistic. Uh, beyond that, you also need a massive supply chain, which would be different than what they're doing right now because it would require different parts, different train mechanics, uh, a large number of man hours for all these aircraft. And frankly, the juice is not worth the squeeze at this point where the rate-limiting step is simply getting Ukraine pilots into the air. What seems more likely to happen in the near future is hopefully that America backstops a number of NATO countries that have aircraft, which Ukraine can currently fly, with NATO aircraft and say, hey, we're willing to train your troops up over the next year or two years in these new NATO aircraft in exchange for you sending your current ones to Ukraine. And in the meantime, 
will station American fighter squadrons here so you feel safe. We've already seen reports of that happening in some Baltic countries. Hopefully that answers the question. Smooth, go ahead. Sure, thanks. Thanks, thanks for a great update as always. Um, one question, I saw an article uh, somewhere last night about uh, Ukrainian successful um, attack on a Wagner PMC camp. Uh, do you have any details on that? So what's reported is that near the town of Avdivka, which is in the south of the Donbass region, the Wagner Group, which is a Russian uh, mercenary group that operates hand-in-hand -hand with the Russian government, you can essentially consider them part of the Russian military because they literally fly their own fighter jets and you don't just find those lying on the side of the road. Right? Uh, they were stationing an anti-air base in a stadium which was destroyed by artillery. Now, it's reported that there was minimal survivors of that attack, uh, like one or two. It's important to note that what the Wagner Group does is generally not just running around by themselves, but especially in Africa and the Middle East, they run around with a bunch of undertrained local nationals and conscripts and sort of command them in a way that they can be at least minimally effective. We've seen them doing so with the DPRLPR force mobilized conscripts who do not want to be there, have minimal military training at best, and thus are very similar to what the Wagner Group is used to dealing with in Syria, for instance. Um, so it's not clear if the reported 100 plus 200, 300 losses in this area, if A, if it reportedly was that high, and B, if they were all Wagner mercenaries, or if it was the Wagner group commanders, as well as their force mobilized conscript peons. But there's good evidence awesome. of, Thanks. of the uh, actual, you know, uh, stadium basically on fire. So we know what happened. We just don't know the exact specifics. Thank you, language. Um, I was going to ask you something. I forgot what. Uh, so if anybody else has a question to ask language uh, right now, that'd be great. And then uh, maybe in the meantime, I can remember. Anyone? Any takers? Let me see if there's some messages. Um, okay. Good statements regarding 65 vehicles uh, packed with hoses, helmets, thermal imaging cameras, and rescue equipment have been delivered and all currently being used in fire operations in Ukraine. That's wonderful. Um, and then uh, something about the Mosin Nagant, which was from the early 1900s or late 1800s. Either way, I mean, in America, we like to, with our you know cowboy culture, we like to talk about, oh, well, this gun can shoot faster and further, and it shoots 50 meters a second, and it can hold two more bullets. And at the end of the day, especially if you've seen the videos in urban combat, you fire a ton of bullets and... You know, it matters a lot more to the person pulling the trigger than what the trigger is connected to. However, with exception, if you give me the you know, rifle equivalent of a sharp, pointy stick, and then you say, hey, there's a Ukrainian in that building with a machine gun who's been training for three years to kill you, and uh, go get him, lad. I might as well just shoot myself and save myself the trouble. And this is a good indication of not just the lack of Russian military supplies. I mean, we all thought, hey, there's millions of AKs. Russia will be handing them out to everyone. Apparently not. So... Either they don't have them or they simply, and this is possible, they simply care so little for these conscript forces that they're just giving them stuff that they're finding at the back of the warehouse because they don't expect them to live that long. And that, that's a terrible, unfortunate, uh, you know, you can see how you, Russia treats the people that they are so-called liberating from, uh, you know, <laughs> Ukrainian aggression is they're just literally using them as meat shields, which is a, it's a terrible circumstance to be in. Thank you, language. Uh, G. 
Hi, good morning. Um, my question is actually for finance. I see he's in the space. Um, I was wondering if we get an update. On Let, let's just check. Finance, are you, are you awake? Oh, so just for oh, somebody not in the space, sometimes, uh, sometimes people have already fallen off. Uh, no, no, that's, that's okay. Why. Never mind. Um, I was interested to see, um, get an update on how the sanctions are going and also with the financial markets around the world going a bit crazy, how that's going to affect Russia. Um, and also, I haven't heard it mentioned recently, but Russia were playing some sort of financial, I don't know, manipulation game with the price of gold and the ruble. Um, and I was wondering how that was working out because it did seem like a very short term solution on their part. Thank you. I suspect it's about uh, three or four o'clock in the morning where he's residing. So he may have fallen asleep at the wheel. Uh I'm actually going to go ahead and drop him to a listener. If he wakes up or wants to join back in, I will uh, give him an invite request as soon as I drop him to a listener. But I don't want people thinking he's uh, still with us. Those were great questions, too, by the way. I I would love to hear his responses on both of those. I know he uh, did touch on one of those topics your first question primarily uh, earlier in the evening, and I had to log off, I believe, right around the time he was covering that. So I missed some of his financial update. Absolutely. Um, hey, G, if you can uh, DM me those questions, uh, I think that'd be great. And then maybe uh, I can uh, post them to him once he's back uh, and maybe or maybe intertwine them with somebody, with someone else who might uh, be able to comment on these well. Aaron, go ahead. Yeah, only a quick question. Um, Domon, is there any update on the Spanish leaders at all? Haven't seen anything in a couple of days. Peter, I'll have a look in the meantime. Peter? Yeah, so I... Did we lose Peter? Oh, sorry. Peter, you cut out and then back in. Uh, maybe you want to start the question from the start. No, we don't have any audio at all, Peter. Uh, mic check now? Yeah, now it's, now it's good. good. Awesome. Um... I've noticed that uh, uh, people spreading Russian propaganda, uh, be it on purpose or just uh, because of being useful idiots, um, their their, uh, Twitter profiles tend to uh, frequently have a lot of Bitcoin and crypto uh, currency related uh, hyperbole as well. Uh, I've noticed that with uh, both uh, uh, people from the US and, and also African nationals who are uh, spreading um, Russian propaganda. And I'm, I've been speculating whether there is some connection or whether it may be more related to uh, susceptibility to um, uh, conspiracy theory or, or like, you know, these unrealistic uh, narratives. Uh, has that, that been discussed ever on this space uh, or does anyone have any insight on that? I mean, you're you're probably right, uh, but I I think it's uh, a more of a correlation rather than an accusation. I guess if that makes sense. Uh, I think it just just so happens that lots of people who are very active also happen to be active in one way and also happen to be active in another way. Um, I think that there's you know there's plenty of crypto people who are into cryptocurrencies and and trading those and are very excited about those who have not fallen for Russian propaganda in the slightest. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to you know blame one for the other. I think it maybe just so happens that a lot of people who are very active on the internet are very active also in the that are also maybe yeah because and, they're very um, active on the internet. 
maybe eating more of the Russian propaganda. I don't know. That's just my 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 guess, right? Im Im made an interesting observation about this at one point. Um, uh, he seemed to have noticed a similar correlation. Uh, and I think you're dead on in saying that correlation doesn't necessarily imply causation, but um, cryptocurrencies are non-fiat, which means they're non, not backed by a government. And typically, uh, if you think about, you know, here in the U.S., people that buy into QAnon crap or other, you know, kind of far-fetched conspiracy theories, theory stuff, um, would tend to be inclined to not believe in government-backed money or, you know, keeping your money in a bank and, you know, Illuminati theories and weird, fanciful tinfoil hat thinking. So um, that said, I know people who are um, very chemically balanced and, you know, of sound mind and well-reasoned who are also into cryptocurrencies and have done quite well for themselves in cryptocurrencies. And I, I would say, I would only couch that with the fact that um, this particular individual was into cryptocurrencies before anyone in this space knew what a cryptocurrency was. Um, and yeah. I don't know who all's in this space. So uh, just, I, because, I, just because I, you strike lightning yeah. strikes once for one person doesn't mean everybody's a genius. And um, yeah, crypto's sucking wind just like everything else in, in the economies, right? In the global economies right now. Yeah, no, I, I, was, uh, I, I should have clarified that comment because, uh, you know, the uh, crypto is a currency, just like, uh, you know, Swedish kroner or, or uh, Ukrainian hryvna. Um, and, uh, and there's no reason to sort of create a cult around Swedish kroner. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but, but some of the, the uh, dialogue or some of the, the hype around cryptocurrencies has this cultish uh, feeling. Uh, and then you have serious people who do things related to cryptocurrency that are not cultish and are not, uh, you know, can be reasonably argued. So I, I was referring to that cultish crypto yeah, no, totally, uh, totally bonanza hype. We completely get your point. Um, yeah. And, Usually, fiat-backed currencies don't require any advertising. The the existence of the government and the authority that's been conveyed upon them by their existence is all the advertising they need. Um, so, yeah, a lot of this Johnny Come Lately crypto stuff is is yeah. Uh, I'll just go ahead and say it. There, a lot of them are Ponzi schemes, and people who are prone to buy into Ponzi schemes are also prone to buying into Russian propaganda. And, and I don't, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but it, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah. Or, or it's, you, you can also say that just, just the volatility creates big winners and big losers. And if you're into gambling, uh, then, you know, you throw your, your money in there, you might as well win as lose. And so, so, you know, why, why put it on, on the roulette board when you can put it into crypto? Um, but, but I was just, uh, thinking if I'm the very professional seasoned Russian propaganda apparatus and I see this this um, uh, phenomenon of crypto cults or, or crypto bonanza, whatever, uh, hype, uh, I'm certainly going to pay attention to it and maybe try to tag along with it, maybe infiltrate uh, communities that are discussing this, 
you know, and and uh, ninety five percent of my posts are related to crypto. And I say, by the way, uh, you know, what about these Nazis in Ukraine? I, I'm I'm I think it's not just a um, or I don't think anything because I, I was asking a question, but uh, I'm wondering whether uh, it's more than just a a correlation, but uh, maybe also something that uh, Russian propaganda uh, people may be exploiting actively. Well, just on a quick topic on crypto, um, I mean, so this is more comical, so I apologize for running roughshod over you, but I believe El Salvador actually invested a considerable portion of their national economy into it, at which point they've lost 50%, and we got a good chance to see the uh, finance minister of El Salvador sweating bullets on stage saying, everything is fine, guys, we lost you know, $100 million or so, but everything is totally cool, I promise. So, you know, there are risks associated with these kind of ventures that can be very real, especially if you try and scale it up to the level of nations. Yeah, really sad, actually. Yeah. Um, I'll just say there's a there's a really interesting question for language that they just got about partisans uh, in Hedson and elsewhere. Uh, if Before language has to go, uh, maybe you could... Uh... So, uh, if you have the question... Who is the question? Like, what are partisans doing down there? Pretty, pretty much. And how extensive is the partisan activity in Kherson, and how much is going on in areas outside of Kherson? I'm guessing Melitopol, of course, is, is really big. Uh, a lot. I'm, I'm not trying to be vague or you know cryptic here, but there's stuff that's happening and been happening. And a very kind person shared a little bit more of that today. So just. <laughs> I'm not trying to be an asshole, but I, I really this is not something you know to like delve super into detail on because these are people who are literally risking their lives just taking pictures of certain things. So just keep an eye on Harrison, especially as Ukrainian forces get closer and closer to the city, because um, there's stuff that can happen there. And I, again, apologize for being cryptic. That's just the way we're going to have to be on this one. In Melitopol, where we can talk about things that have already happened, I can be much more open. Um, literal knives in the dark, uh, Russian forces being dragged away into the night and found the next day um, stabbed and mutilated, as well as a number of uh, pro-Ukrainian posters with QR codes that have been scattered around the city um, with various messages on them have been really terrifying the local occupiers. And then there's been increased usage of um, sort of anti-Russian propaganda uh, Bluetooth speakers, actually, because two days ago, I believe, was Russia Day, or yesterday was Russia Day, and that was supposed to be the day that showed when Russia changed over from the Soviet Union, and now it's become a big nationalistic holiday. Uh, they played a bunch of propaganda in the city, and a network of Bluetooth speakers actually drowned them out for large portions of it. Uh, so people have people find their ways to resist where they can and how they can um, without getting themselves killed. Uh, specifically in Herstein and Melitopol and Burbjans. Which, which, uh, let's, uh, yeah, Veso, do you have uh, something for language by any chance? Or any no, else, of course. I, I want to come back to the, um, a bit about uh, the crypto thingy, but good morning language and all, by the way. Um, I've uh, had a good night's rest. Um, so, uh, the Ponzi scheme is, is something like a pyramid scheme, uh, just to translate, uh, Ryan, or or am I wrong? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, 
that's my feeling about crypto. Um, actually, it's when you look upon it. Sure, people. Some people do get rich of it, and it was nice. And and the intent to to create was real. I'm not doubting that. But um, what you said, and and just to um, put it more, yeah, plain, if I, if I may, it's. Um, it's not backed by any official uh, uh, thing. So normally money or something that has value, you can set a gold fee as a currency. It becomes real. It's something you can trade with. But cryptocurrency is somebody who put money in it, but it's not set um, off to a, a product. So there's never going to be a product that sets its base value. And so if... Elon Musk comes around. He says, mm, "I'm think I'm gonna buy some cryptocurrency of Bitcoin, and then the Bitcoin goes sky high. Nah, I'm not interested, and it goes all down. And he just needs to have one tweet to to raise the the value or diminish the value. And if he bought in before and sold uh, just in time before he tweeted, he's rich." And and so anybody who who uh, does that at the right time can make a, earn a lot of money on the side. But yeah, uh, it's it's very uh, We're funny. We're a lot you... of money on the side. Yeah, that, that's the the exactly that's exactly the point. It's uh, the point I was coming through. Yeah, there are a lot of people. There are more people losing money because they invest in something then people get rich. The only thing is, in the pyramid scheme, the top gets very rich very quick. The the cryptocurrency, yeah, it's a bit of uh, right time right to, to buy and right time to sell. So that's something I, I was just uh, thinking even, about. I, yeah, people who trade. I was going to say even people who trade in fiat currencies, foreign exchange trading is, is a thing. And people can make and lose massive amounts of money depending on their timing and their prediction of exchange rates. Can you explain the, the term fiat? Uh, fiat, fiat currency is a, a government-backed uh, currency. It's basically just uh, the dollar or the ruble or the, the euro or the British pound. Um, it's government-backed. Uh, fiat currency used to re- refer to... Uh, money that was backed by gold or silver. And most countries have moved to a non-gold um, or silver-backed money now. So it's uh, it's backed by a guarantee of, of the United States government or the European Union. Uh, so when I say fiat currency, I'm just essentially referring to real money and not cr- uh, cryptocurrencies. I could be wrong. Thanks for that. Thanks yeah. for the ex- explanation, uh, Ryan. But uh, yeah, it's it, I sometimes just ask for clarification because if if I'm an IT guy, I I know nothing about currencies or uh, politics, and uh, having some backstory just for me or for the audience to to have that explanation insight, uh, it's it's easy to for me if I go on CPU, GPU, and PSU and other terminology it, it gets quite dark quite fast and if you make it a bit explain it sometimes a bit or dare to ask it it just makes it clear for for the audience 
in my opinion. And sure, to be concise, you need to uh, use the terminology. Liberal, you wanted to interject or uh, add to it? Um, hey, brother. Uh, good evening. Um, no, I just want to say, like, let's not go down a rabbit hole for cryptocurrency. Sure. Um, yeah, it's like what, yeah. What, it's like the Ukraine or Russian invasion space, and we're talking about cryptocurrency. Like, it's it's relevant uh, on some level, but I think we don't want to go into your uh, rabbit hole. Right. Yeah. 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 Right on that. And somebody mentioned, uh, just to answer, there was a question from a listener on whether there was some correlation between those two. And another listener recommended uh, a podcast called Doomsday Watch that a guy named Arthur Snell does. And it seems to be a pretty popular podcast. But uh, the most recent episode is called Mind Control, Why Millions Think Russia is Winning. Uh, and I'm interested to listen to it. I can't write this moment. I may when I sign off of the space later this evening or this morning, uh, but it, it, it piqued my interest. I, uh, I'll i be checking it out when I have some spare time. Yeah, and... and if something is called Doomsday XYZ, what do you think it's going to mean? Let's have <laughs> the most far-out conversation if possible, let's give the most extreme fringe idea some room and give some oxygen to see what sticks. That's fine. That's okay. And obviously he is in the business of detecting those and deconstructing those. One shall hope that he continues doing so. And that's that. So right. as to the other thing, just to, so that people are not that we don't later on get a huge amount of complaint by everybody who's been classically uh, educated or has ever done anything in monetary history, one or the other. Uh, fiat is from the Latin, it shall be. And this, it shall be is the creation, so to say, in the Greek as well as in uh, Roman um, mythologies, uh, something which is created out of thin air. It's a criticism of the fact that the government which... Uh, creates a currency. But on the other hand, this is a discussion the French and the Dutch had at some point in time. It all reflects one thing. The tech, uh, yeah, the sovereignty of a nation deterring uh, others and creating a space uh, which it protects and therefore it taxes. And the tax authority and the projection of future tax income is the back for the for what is the currency if a country issues the currency. That's that. At some point in time, this was not enough uh, already in early days, which is why they put gold as collateral underneath it. At a later stage, we managed to disassociate ourselves from uh, underlyings because these underlyings themselves only had a perceived market value. That's how it goes in a nutshell. And if anybody wants to discuss this in more detail, they can DM me. I studied this. I work with this every single day. And if you want to talk about digital assets, you can do that too. There's people who believe that something crypto is a currency, which is nuts because nothing of that sort is there. The store of value is, well, say, shall we say, challenged, as one can see. It's a speculative digital asset if you believe it in the asset class or the asset category or the asset purpose, if it has one, then you can actually associate value with it. For example, there are people who believe that certain uh, crypto assets are issued in, with a view to developing uh, certain technologies in Web3, and that's fine, that's completely okay, but it's a mechanism of issuing IOUs or securities, which is why many of those digital assets in future will be regulated as securities, because mostly they are. That's how it goes. 
that's it in a nutshell. And if you want to know more, you can DM me. And if I ever have time after the end of the war, we can talk about it. And in the meantime, we'll focus on the war and how to win it. It's a beautiful way to, to, to say uh, stealing thunder, but you as always, uh, Axel, can put it quite, uh, really nice and, and putting a pin in it, yes, it's it's nice it's to... It's a pity that we, thank you for the compliments, it's a pity that we lost finance. I would have loved to hear something about real markets because there's a lot of shit going on this morning. In, uh, yeah, uh, I w w didn't want to go to in uh, fi or financial things with the war going on exactly, but it's a nice um, way to put a pin to it. I, I, I want, don't want to go any further uh, into it. Um, just want to compliment the, the way you said it and, and put a lid on it. It's on all those subjects because... Then let's do this. Yes. Good morning, Axel. Let's go to Slava Ukraine. So uh, I understood the question from the gentleman, um, and I would like to answer to this. So uh, if you, for example, follow some big account who has a lot of followers and has concrete uh, team, uh, has specific topic, and sometimes you see uh, suspicious uh, post or something negative to some area or some different you actually feel that this some some post is out of place out of the blue right not not fitting to this timeline of this uh, account it is really suspicious and in the uh, it for me it looks like is being prepaid and if uh, topic goes around the cryptocurrency cryptocurrency it's this easy to just pay anonymously which is Russia love to do. Just anonymously pay for one single post once a week, maybe twice a day. So this is the way they do it. So for them, it's nothing. And just spreading the propaganda, one word here, one word there, and it sips. So uh, nice that you pointed out this gentleman, I don't know who this is, but it is really the way how it works. So. Some people can just rush up, don't um, even notice, but it is little but little. It gives the, uh, this negative information that seeps into the mind, not, sus not suspicious people, and it will stay, it will grow, and then um, questions uh, gonna rise, and this gonna this topic gonna be ask more and more, but uh, no Nazis in the Ukraine and Russia loves uh, cryptocurrency because they don't trust uh, Russian government. Thank you. Hey, Slava, I agree with you. Uh, I think we need to be careful not to get too far diverted into cryptocurrency because it seems to fly. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. I'm just... Yeah. I just wanted to point out that this post, the post may be paid this for... Was actually... for Liberal, this was actually relevant because it's part of the uh, narrative over there and it's one part of their mechanism. And if you want to really put a pin in it, you can also talk about the fact that a large amount of the so-called Bitcoin mining and only Bitcoin is being mined, Bitcoin mining activity was going on in the highly subsidized, uh, completely, uh, utterly bereft of any regulation, territory coordinated 
in Transnistria. And uh, Transnistria was the mining capital for quite some time now, where government-related entities and uh, people related with uh, the Russian regime managed to mine their cryptocurrency in order to benefit uh, from the possibility that they could then from there on or after simply, um, yeah, generate fiat money themselves. It's a, it's a big thing and our agencies and our regulators have been pursuing this for quite some time. And it has an impact on Ukraine because this money was essentially built back on the backs of the Ukrainians. And most of it was used then for foreign, shall we say, uh, foreign operations. That's what it's for. It's the same kind of black coffers the KGB has always used. And with that, we can move on. Dorman dropped. We have to get Dorman back. Sorry. Nope, you're fine. Um, Axel, if you have to drop out for an hour or, or here shortly, I can stick around for a bit until uh, some other co-hosts show up. Um, I did want to mention, and I didn't want to wake anybody up, but uh, Colonel Spencer was in here just a short time ago, and he broke a little bit of personal news to frequent listeners to the space by mentioning that he had just left uh, Ukraine and had visited areas in and around Kiev to uh, gather some information. Um, I was kind of surprised to hear that knowledge. Uh, I had no idea he was traveling there, and I'm sure that was kept under wraps for very good reasons. But um, I was kind of caught by surprise when he mentioned where he was and why he was in Poland. Um, so I expect we'll be hearing a lot more from him in the coming days, and I hope to see him uh, on some international broadcasts spreading the good word as well. Uh, we got Dylan back, and I think we'd lost Axel. Oh, Axel's still no, here. No, no, I'm here. I'm here. I was just um, uh, organizing stuff in parallel. And yes, there were, there were some indications that um, uh, Colonel Spencer would enjoy some time there. I, I knew he would have a great interest in it. I just had no idea. Uh, I didn't realize that he'd been absent from the space uh, just because I had been a little inter intermittent in my uh, time here as well. So um, it made perfect sense when he chimed in and said, oh, hi, I've, uh, I'm sitting in an airport in Poland and uh, I've got about a half an hour, but I've been in Kiev. You guys got any questions? So uh, Sorry to have missed that. Yeah, uh, I I would recommend going back and and catching it on the recording if if we have to restart the space anytime in the near future. It, it's worth a good twenty minutes of conversation. He had a lot of insightful stuff to say, and we had some good questions as well. Absolutely. Although I will note that I have such a backlog of things I want to go back and listen to <laughs> because I never have the time to go. To That's exactly my problem too. I spend so much time on the live version. I, I never really get a chance to go back and listen to it. Uh, well, it is how it is. Ladies and gentlemen, um, let's do a little bit of housekeeping because we haven't done any in a while. Anybody who'd like to come up and speak, ask a question, uh, make a comment, raise a topic to do with Ukraine and the ensuing Russian invasion of Ukraine and genocide against Ukrainians, uh, please request to speak by clicking the mic button in the bottom left corner of your screen. If you are on a desktop or a laptop, any non-mobile device, I believe you cannot do so. It is not a... Um, uh, Twitter simply doesn't allow it. It's not us that are making it unavailable to you. Uh, you will simply need to get an app on your phone to be able to do so. Phone, I, I think tablet works as well. I'm guessing, I'm not sure. Anyway. Yes. 
thank you, VSL. Good. Tablets work as well. Uh, where were we? If you could, would be so kind as to click the big blue button in the bottom right corner of your screen, share out the space, that would be fantastic. Expand the reach. It's one of the things you can do for Ukraine very easily in but a matter of seconds. Tag some people who are in the space. Tag some people that aren't in the space but would like to see in the space. Maybe tag some journalists or some opinion makers or maybe some current or retired politicians whom you think might be you know, interested and maybe could learn something. MariaA.org right up there in the title of the space. Um, it's a fantastic charity organization run by, among others, the most recent commanding officer of Operation Unifier, Canadians are Canadian Armed Forces Training Mission to Ukraine, Colonel Melanie Lake. Uh, it is incredibly well run and only supplies exactly the things that Ukraine desires and explicitly requests. Um, so, and it's, uh, you know, it's fantastic. 100% of the contributions to Maria Aid go directly for stuff that ends up in Ukraine, right? There are no pizza parties, as Ihuda likes to say. There is no overhead cost. Everything is done on a completely volunteer basis. Um, so MariaAid.org, up there in the title of the space if you want to help Ukraine. Additionally, if you want to write to some uh, elected officials, express your you know, bottom-up political will for top-down political action to be taken to send more stuff to Ukraine, especially things like artillery, MLRS, uh, any sort of, um, you know, even small arms, any sort of military equipment, because, you know, civilians can't really ship that, uh, but governments can, and governments tend to have quite large stocks of that, especially if you live in a certain country in the Western Hemisphere. Um then that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh, let's go to Liberal. Hey, Doman, thank you. Um, so uh, earlier, someone said that Transnistria was um, somehow impactful in cryptocurrency, and I did a little research, and I find it um, hard to believe that Transnistria is that big of a player in cryptocurrency. Now, they may have some kind of an impact. Excuse me? So I think I think tactical was uh, talking to his family. Uh, oh, okay, all right. So I just you know I heard something coming over the wire. It's a fact. Liberal, sorry, we had this a couple of weeks ago. These are facts based on the based on the massive amount of mining equipment which had been brought there from Russia, Kazakhstan, and from previously Chinese Chinese mining equipment acquired by Russian-based uh, sorry Russian domiciled Kazakhstan-sponsored. Um, and these are Russian Kazakhstani sources, of course, uh, assets which were brought into Transnistria because of the absolutely ludicrously low uh, state-sponsored price of energy. And uh, the equipment was put there into old military uh, installations and uh, uh, the Russian security services allowed sheriff or others uh, to then uh, mount these operations to mine Bitcoin there one of the major major mining operations which can can be considered dark yeah i read it, it and there's like tons about, of data on it um percent hardly you know immensely impactful or maybe you have different um information yes we have different information they've been on the radar of many many um interested parties in the west for a long time and we reported on this when we had um, Peter Doran here on the space, and we had a little happy banter about the fact that regulators and uh, intelligence agencies of the West were pursuing the matter for 
more than just a little while. And they've been hiding it quite neatly over there for some time, but they were found out easily. And this is one of the reasons why the deep cellars, both industrial uh, basements as well as former bunkers of the Soviet forces in Transnistria are so important. What percentage of the cryptocurrency market then would you suggest Transnistria is responsible for? Um, it's not the cryptocurrency market. It's not the it's not cryptocurrency I'm... market. It's only one, the one being mined, which is Bitcoin. Okay, well, we were talking about it in um, a more larger sense, but so we're talking about Bitcoin. There's only one cryptocurrency which is being mined, and that's Bitcoin. Everything else is created right out of hand, but not mine. So you're suggesting that the center of the Bitcoin mining industry is in Transnistria? No, I didn't say that. I said a veritably chunk, a veritable chunk of it, a large chunk of it in recent years, and not throughout the whole time, but in recent years has been built up there. And it's big enough to make an impact onto the overall money laundering scheme used by that regime in the East. Yeah, he's just saying that the, the cheap energy available there in Transnistria led it to be a haven for Russian Bitcoin mining operations. I don't think he's making any larger statements about Bitcoin in general or exactly. cryptocurrencies. Uh, on a, a more general note, Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency worth mining. So that's why it's the only one that's mined on a commercial scale. Copy that. Thank you. Yeah, and sorry if there was any confusion before. Thanks, Ryan. That's the name of the game, and that is cheap energy. If you can find cheap energy, it's it's always a profitable endeavor. But we've we've put that whole subject to death here. Uh, let's let's please put it to death at the moment. We've exhausted it. I think uh, as far as its application towards what's going on in Ukraine. Um. So, Ryan, quick question. Uh, a few uh, maybe an hour ago, I sent you a smoke signal. Um about Freeport, one of the largest U.S. LNG terminals uh, going up in flames last week, I think. Mm -hmm. um, what, what, what's up with that? I, I, have, I have not heard of it before. Uh, last night, one of our listeners sent this to me. Can you talk, uh, talk to us about it a little bit, how, what the significance of that is, how important it, it is, etc.? It's a liquefaction facility. Um, if anybody's heard us in here talk about the Sakhalin Island project, uh, that's a similar one in Russia. Basically, it's a giant compressor station where they take natural gas that comes out of the ground, um, compress it, compress it, and basically turn a gas into a liquid because it's more economical to transport it uh, long distances if you convert it into a liquid format. You can get lots more of it on a boat and send it to places like Europe where natural gas costs significantly more than it, it sells for here in the U.S. Um, one great example of that after the Fukushima disaster in Japan was that natural gas prices uh, a decade ago when all that happened were selling at maybe 4 or $5. I, I think it was about $5 an MCF here. And the imbalance globally because Japan shuttered a bunch of its nuclear facilities meant that the same volume of gas here, which is a thousand cubic feet, a standard measure, um, sold for $5 here in the United States and sold for something like $14 on the open market in Japan. Um, at the time, there were 
restrictions in place. So U.S. Uh, domestically produced natural gas and and oil could not be exported to countries like that. We've since relaxed those regulations or restrictions, and exports can be shipped all over the world to wherever the you know the highest price is commanded. Um, even at the time, it made sense to be able to export gas from the United States to Japan because even after you incurred all of the shipping costs that it would take to get that over from the United States to Japan, you could still make nearly double the amount of money um, on the same product. So the Freeport facility is a liquefaction operation. They compress gas down into a liquid. Uh, It's on the Gulf Coast somewhere, I, I guess in Freeport. Um, and what it means for Europe and and Ukraine and everything else is that exports from the United States to Europe, which would um, ease some of the high natural gas prices that we're seeing in Europe right now, are going to be interrupted for the next couple of weeks at least while they can go through that facility, do an inspection and make repairs get whatever um, compressor trains were not damaged back online and figure out what kind of a set, basically do an assessment and figure out what it's going to take to get the the damaged equipment back up and running as well. But uh, I'm sure if they had a major explosion and given the the video I watched, they had a major explosion. um, It will take them an amount of time to go through there and inspect all of that and, you know, certify that it's safe to bring back online before they, turn all the stuff on again. Um, I, I doubt it was sabotage. Um, I think they had already identified that there was some kind of leak. I don't know if it was a line or a, uh, some kind of flange that, that broke a leak, but accidents happen all the time in that industry. It's, it's not, um, I, I would say an explosion of that scale is definitely out of the norm, but in industrial accidents happen frequently. Um, I, I wouldn't assume that anything nefarious had occurred. Just to add, Ryan, um, I'm looking at a map right now. It's informmanapalm.org, which has a, an extensive list, or it's a website showing all fires in Russia, uh, military and non-military, at least what they perceive. It's uh, unfortunately in uh, in Ukrainian. So for us English readers, uh, it might be a bit hard, but at least it gives a good map of when, where. If any, if anybody's interested, I'm willing to share. Um, yeah, and I'm seeing, I'm looking back at some of the historical news articles about this. They were saying uh, on June the 8th that the Freeport LNG plant was going to be shut down for three weeks following the accident which essentially